Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Karolina Kaminska. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from Key Street Productions founder Nicola Schindler, Bronte and Snowden Productions head of drama Ruth Kenley Letts, Black Camel Pictures founder Arabella Page Croft, and Hartswood Films producer Sue Virtue as we celebrate International Women's Day in association with All Three Media International. Today is International Women's Day, a global event celebrating the social, economic, cultural and political achievements of women. So to mark the occasion this year, C21 Media has come together with All Three Media International to hear from four women in television about their experiences of working in the industry, exec producing and some of the highlights of their careers. Nicola Schindler is the founder of Red Production Company and now ITV Studios-backed Key Street Productions. A long-time collaborator with writer Russell T Davies and exec producer on his latest hit, It's a Sin. Ruth Kenley Letts is head of drama at Bronte and Snowden Productions, behind a string of series including Mrs Wilson and J.K. Rowling's The Casual Vacancy. Arabella Page-Croft is the founder of leading Scottish drama producer Black Camel Pictures, behind titles like Legacy, Sunshine on Leith and Dead End. And Sue Virtue is a producer and board director at Hartswood Films, whose credits include Mr Bean, Gimme 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 and Sherlock. All four spoke with Rachel Glaster from All Three Media International. Hello, my name is Rachel Glaster. I'm one of the EVPs at All Three Media International, and I was fortunate enough to interview four brilliant executive producers for this series entitled The Executive Reveals. These execs have brought us landmark shows such as Sherlock and Dracula, Queer as Folk, and It's a Sin. Executive worked with leading talent like Ruth Wilson and Emily Watson and Nicola Walker. First up, we have Nicola Schindler from the creation of Red Productions and her proudest moment on her journey with the amazing It's a Sin. Nicola Schindler, it's a pleasure to talk with you today. Uh, In regards to your early years, I gather you were a TV addict from a young age. Um, I lived in a house that had the television on the whole time. My mum used to joke that I would watch the test card when there was nothing on television during the day because I loved it that much. So television has always been a massive part of my life. I guess the first dramas that I remember is Coronation Street. And I remember absolutely being fascinated by the plots, by the characters, by predicting what was going to happen, by thinking about uh, who would come in next, which characters would become more important. So it was really formative in the way that I thought about television from a very young age. In regards to your career in TV, was there a single defining moment or, or was it more a gradual path? So when I left university, I didn't know what I could do because I knew I wanted to be creative. I thought at the time I wanted to work in the theatre. I didn't realise television was an option really as a job. I knew people made it, but I didn't know how they made it. So I went to work at the Royal Court Theatre in London and I started trying to get involved in the script department because working with writers is what I always wanted to do. And I was very lucky that I met a literary agent who was very kind to me and explained the job of script editor at the, in television and said, if you really want to work with writers, what you should do is, is apply to be a script editor, which I did and didn't get the job, but got a trainee job very luckily at the BBC. And so started that way and then realised that that was definitely the place in television that I wanted to be. So when did the executive producer role appear on the horizon? My role in becoming an executive producer was kind of fortuitous in that I set up a production company. 
So before, I'd, uh, all I'd done is produced. And then I set up my own production company, which was Red. And the first production that I started with was Queer as Folk, which Russell T. Davis wrote. And when we looked at how I was going to manage that, I realised that there was the, another job as well as a producer. There was an executive producer. And then I realised that I didn't want anyone else doing that job because that, that was what I wanted to do. And that was the, um, the decisions I wanted to make. So I convinced Channel 4 to let me be the producer and the executive producer on the first series of Queer as Folk, which is impossible. And now I understand it doesn't work. But actually, I did it. I was on set every day as the producer. I was hands on producing. And then I was making those executive decisions with the channel as well. So that's how I moved into executive producing. That was the last um, show that I hands on produced. And from then on, I executive produced everything at Red. Would you please give us your three top tips or top skills for being an executive producer? I think what makes a good executive producer is someone who is confident in their own opinion at the same time as being able to compromise and listen to other people's opinions. So I have to read something and know what I think about it and be able to give coherent, good notes that make it better, not different, at the same time as listening to voices around me. I think it's important as an executive producer that you... Um, are so careful when choosing the team that you're putting on every production. Because it's not just about finding the best director, it's about finding the best director for that material. So the process has to be really thorough in their response to the script, their response to the material, their feeling of, um, of, of being right for this specific project as opposed to just being brilliant. Um, I think that's very important. And, uh, I think your ability to deal with problems and not become overwhelmed or panicked is really important as well. I um, think that half of the job is, is realising how many issues there are going to be. There are going to be 20 problems a day because that's what filming is and that's what making something is. You've got to make sure that you pick out the problem that you can sort pick out a problem that is, is irrelevant and should be ignored and make sure that the right decisions are being taken rather than panic setting in when all these things happen. Tell us about executive producers you admire. Um, early on in my career, I was very lucky in the executive producers that I worked with. I, uh, my first two jobs were with two inspiring execs who I still think about to this day. One was Gub Neal, who made Cracker for um, Granada, and I was his script editor, and he went on to be an exec. And what I got from him was just absolute lack of inhibition and when it comes to ambition he was totally ambitious so he you know even if there were massive financial problems with the program he would sit there and say why don't we drive that car through that glass shop at this point because that'd be exciting instead of going well, what can we do what can we not do you know just he's he made the right to think big and I really admired that and then the other exec who I work with um is Charlie Pattinson who made our friends in the north well again I was the script editor um and he is another one who I think has massive scale of ambition um managed the job so brilliantly but also um delegated to me and that's what I realized as well he helped me realize that you can't do these things by yourself and he was great at saying to me go and be in Newcastle and, and look after the show from there and I'll stay in London and, and we'll do it together it just and, and now I realize all the time that I need other people around me who are good and I need other people to be empowered and I think that he taught me how to do that. Nicola, would you share an insight into a key decision on It's a Sin and also your proudest moment on the show? 
I think a key decision that that we made on It's a Sin that has contributed towards its success was putting Ollie Alexander in the central role because Ollie was known as a, a pop star. You know, he was an entertainer. He, although he had done some acting when he was much younger, he had he wasn't known for acting. He'd never held a production before. He'd never led a show before. And all we made that decision on was it, Russell and I and the casting director, Andy Pryor, were in a room, a very small room with um, Ollie and he came to audition for us and he blew us away. And it, it was only someone sat on a chair reading scenes. And, it, you know, again, it, we were, you know, we had in the back of our mind, is he experienced enough for this? But we just made that decision and it was bold. And it was important, I think, that we made such a big decision. In terms of what's made me proud um, as an exec on It's a Sin, there are just too many things to mention. Um, not because I think my contribution has been so extraordinary, but because I think the impact of the drama has had has beyond entertainment. So I think when I heard that the NHS in Britain had run out of HIV testing kits for the first time ever post the show, I felt really proud then because it felt like, you know, not only is this something that people can enjoy and, and be very emotionally affected by, um, they can also it also has a message and it has something to say and something important. And you know, if we can contribute towards making sure that HIV doesn't spread any further, then that would be an astonishing result from what is an entertaining drama. Nicola Schindler, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us today and all best wishes on your future productions. Here we hear from Ruth Kenley Letts of Snowed In, who reveals her early Oscar success and a very awkward moment regarding the sound of music. Hello Ruth and welcome. Um, to start us off, would you please share your first love moment with storytelling? I think the moment I fell in love with um, storytelling in, in film and television um, was when I was taken aged eight um, by my grandmother to see uh, The Sound of Music in uh, in, in Leicester Square. And uh, I loved that film so much uh, that the very next day I went to school and I told all my classmates that I was actually one of the little girls in the film. That's how much I loved it. I mean, how stupid was that? Because they all, of course, went off to see it over the following weeks. And um, it was obvious that I was not in this film, but I, I kind of dreamt myself into it. I loved it so much. And things got quite difficult for me at school, um, having told this uh, stupid lie, uh, so much so that um, I decided I actually couldn't go into school anymore. And I told my mother that um, I had a really terrible tummy ache and um, I was feeling very unwell. And she took my temperature and I put the temperature in my tea uh, to give myself a temperature. And my mum was worried enough to call our family doctor um, to come and visit me. And the next thing I knew, I was having my appendicitis out at St. Mary's Hospital in London. And that is the honest to God truth. I, I do not have an appendix. There was nothing wrong with me, except that I could not go to school, having told this really stupid and, well, stupid lie. So that's my first memory of falling in love with um, storytelling. The scars you carry, literally. Um, so moving on from that drama, was there a single moment that led you to TV? 
there is never, I don't think, a single event that leads you into anything. There's always, for me, in my life or my experience, there's been a build-up of, of things that have happened to me. Um, but I guess what led me into it was um, uh, I wasn't the best student, actually, at school. And um, But one of the things that I did love doing uh, was going to drama classes. And when I was about 17, 18, um, a drama teacher at school said... Um, said said to me that I was good enough to apply for drama school if I was thinking about becoming an actress and um and that led me to thinking I didn't even really know what a drama school was but I looked into it and um I didn't really feel that university was was going to be my thing I wasn't particularly academic and drama school seemed much more fun three years of getting to play lots of different parts and, and learning how to be an actress. So um, I did apply for drama school and I, I went for three years. And, um, and I suppose in a way, um, it was coming out of drama school into a world of being an unemployed actor that led me on, on the path of becoming um, a producer because um, when I was out of work as an actress, um, I somehow got involved in temping in casting directors offices and I worked for a production company that made commercials um, and so that kind of um, gave me a foundation uh, to becoming a producer it was the stepping stones really I mean working um, making commercials gave me a huge amount of experience of working in studios working on location um, so yeah I think I think it was really the act, I think it was that drama teacher saying, have you thought about being an actress that sort of was the first step towards ending up a producer. But, you know, nobody when they're 18, 16, 17, 18, 19 thinks about being a producer. Most of us wouldn't even know that job existed unless you grew up in a family where show business was what your parents did. So that was kind of my journey into ending up doing what I do. Could you tell me more about those early experiences and those early views of the executive producer or the executive production role? I think how I eventually got into producing and then into exec producing was a, a quite, I think, um, because I'm, I'm of an age where things were different when I was in my 30s to how things are now. And uh, I'm not sure that I would have ever made it as a producer or an executive producer had I started 25 years later. But um, I grew up in a world where I think opportunities were given more readily to people. Um, if you banged on enough doors, um, people did give you opportunities. And, um, and I was very lucky because I quite early on started making, getting involved in helping people with short, short films. Um, and, and, and I was, you know, very early on quite successful in that. Uh, the first short film I did with, with my still friend, Peter Capaldi, uh, who wrote and directed a short film called Franz Kafka's It's a Wonderful Life. We, we joined together to make that. And that went on to win an Oscar. Uh, and then I followed that up with another short film uh, called The Tale of the Rat That Wrote that got BAFTA nominated. Um, uh, so actually I did have quite a lot of luck at an early stage. And so um, it didn't feel like a daunting journey. It felt like um, opportunities came my way and I took them. And that's something I still say to people I meet who are at the beginning of their journeys. You know, if, if an opportunity comes your way, just grab it, go for it, because you've got nothing to lose. 
You know, if, if you fail, well, so be it. You know, you always learn from your failures. You learn far more from, from the things that go wrong in, in, in your work life than you do for the things that go well and smoothly. Um, so um, I would just encourage people to, to take whatever opportunities come that way, come their way, even if they're opportunities that don't feel that exciting. Because whatever happens in, in any of our lives, it's a question of, you know, one, one door sometimes shuts for us, but that allows another door to open. And unless you take opportunities, how even if they don't, as I say, even if they don't feel like they're going to lead you anywhere, you'll be introduced to people, you'll meet people, you'll network, they'll, they'll be the people that will be the stars of tomorrow. Um, you know, I, I worked in the production company I mentioned uh, to you, I worked uh, with a runner who, who grew up to be Andrew McDonald, who runs DNA Films and has made you know, some fantastic films over his years. And um, and and when we worked together, um, he actually got sacked. He got fired uh, by the uh, director of that company. Um, uh, he one day came home, came back from lunch as a runner and the director wouldn't let him back in the office and just threw his bags out the window in Poland Street in Soho. Uh, and, and a year later, Andrew, you know, was making um, shallow graves. So, you know, it, just take the opportunities and 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 things will come your way. Good things. What do you admire in other executive producers? I think there's some brilliant execs out there, um, but but I've had the um, uh, I've been very fortunate in that I had uh, five years working uh, with Jane Featherstone at Qdos, and I suppose um, she is the person that I I know the best. Um, as an exec producer, and I felt I learned a lot um, observing how she worked. Um, and she also sort of became my mentor in a way. Um, she really helped give me confidence as a producer and then moving on to becoming an exec producer. Um, but essentially, um, you know, uh, I think uh, what Jane taught me was... Um, she was able to be across so many productions and, and so many brilliant new shows during my time at Kudos. And uh, you, you, you know, you often wonder, how does she do, do all this stuff? How does she actually get through the work? Um, and that she does by working incredibly hard and she's so committed uh, to the shows that she gets involved in. But essentially, I think her, um, her real, uh, one of her many talents um, is that she really enables uh, people to, to get on with their jobs. So um, what I think I learned from her was how important it is to put a good team together. Because if you put a good team together, if you pick the right producer, director, writer to tell your story, um, then that allows you to move on to other projects or concentrate on other projects. Because television is always about collaboration. It's always about the team. It's about the cast. It, it's about those essences all working together um, uh, and, and and if you have that that just allows you to get through the workload um, and I also think if you've made the right decision then your job as an executive producer is to encourage and um, inspire um, and allow people uh, to do what you've hired them to do not to interfere not to oppress them not to be kind of breathing down their necks. Um, I, I feel that I learned that from Jane and I, I think I do do that as an exec that, that when I get it right, when the teams are right, I can 
I can allow myself to step back and let them get on with it. That's why why I've hired them in the first place. Tell us a little bit about your new show, Too Close. I'm really proud of the work that's been achieved on Too Close because, uh, A, it's, um, it's a script I absolutely love. And, um, and what makes me particularly proud is that our writer, uh, Clara Salmon, this is her first screenplay that's been greenlit. And I think it's always uh, a proud moment if you can help somebody get their first break. And I'm quite sure that she will be, you know, working on lots of projects uh, hereafter uh, because of her terrific work on, on Too Close. So that makes me really proud. Um, I'm, I'm also really proud because, um, you know, we've got two fantastic actresses um, that are the beating heart of, of the show. Emily Watson, who's like amazing, and, um, and Denise Goff, and uh, all, uh, another brilliant actress, um, both of whose work I really admire. So for, for me, it's always really exciting um, when you can get the casting so spot on. And I think that we have managed to achieve that on this show. Uh, so that makes me really proud. Um, and I'm also proud that we were able to stop filming because of the coronavirus. Um, and that felt very um, depressing for us all. We were five weeks away from filming. But in the end, we managed to keep our entire crew together. Um, all our HODs uh, continued uh, when we took the decision to get uh, back into production in August and start filming in September. And I'm proud that we got through the filming. We were one of the first production companies out the gate. Um, I think, you know, literally there were just two or three productions that had gone before us uh, and only by a matter of a couple of weeks. Uh, and I'm glad we, we took that decision to just go for it and, and hope for the best. Um, and we, we got through it um, and I'm really proud. We didn't miss a day, we, we didn't miss a beat really. Um, and, and there were you know, issues that production had to deal with uh, and, and, and a lot of pressure on our team, but everybody got through it and worked together brilliantly. Um, and you know both 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 cast and crew. Uh, so yeah, I'm really proud that we finished it on time on schedule, and um, and and hopefully you know people will uh, get a kick out of watching it. I personally think they're going to be riveted by the show. And Ruth Kenny Letts, thank you very much for overcoming all of those hurdles and for your wise words today. Bye. Arabella Page-Croft is fresher to the TV executive production role than others, but is in at the deep end here working with acclaimed actress Nicola Walker on a brand new detective strand. Arabella Page-Croft of Black Camel, lovely to talk to you here today. In regards to your early years, were you a TV watcher or a reader as a child? I was definitely a reader more than a viewer when I was little when I was a little girl and I read avidly um and I think probably you know whether it was you know a lot of Enid Blyton you know Mallory Towers uh you know St Clair's all of those things I think probably got me into you know storytelling at a very early age and then you know I guess when I was a bit older you know uh, it, I did drama at school and I loved acting and I think you know the kind of you know coming to telling stories came through that originally rather than sort of sitting down and viewing. And, you know, I went, I went to a boarding school, so there wasn't a lot of telly. Um, so books were my first love, I'd say. What was then that single event that led you into TV? 
my first um, entrance into television was I saw an advert, I think in The Guardian, if I remember, and they were looking for trainees for live TV, which was this really, what was being presented as this really exciting, dynamic new cable TV station. And I just knew I had to get that job. I just had this you know, determined instinct that I was going to get in that door somehow. And so I wrote to them and said, you know, even if I can't be one of your trainees, please come and do some work experience. You know, and I was working in a shoe shop, I think, at the time, you know, putting lots of shoes on people's feet. And uh, I managed to get through the door. And, and just after I'd had my interview, an unfortunate thing happened. And Janet Street Porter's assistant, her sister died. So she had to leave very suddenly. And they called me up and they said, look, can you stand in and be Janet's PA? And I mean, Janet is obviously an extraordinary woman, a legend in her own lifetime. And I, I, I got that three weeks and I survived. And it was, it was a really tough, brutal first experience, but it was kind of the holding on. And, and then that was me. I was off into the industry after that. Would you tell us about your route to the executive production role? What were the fears or the insecurities that needed to be overcome along the way and the challenges, perhaps? So the route to EPing has been an interesting one. And, you know, I don't think I probably ever had it really mapped out in my life um, that this is where I would end up and a, a place that I'm really, really loving doing this job. Um you know, I, I think it's been interesting. I think often when you look at executive producers and I used to look at people like, I guess, Nicola Schindler and think, oh, my goodness me, how has she done it? How has she managed to become such a successful executive producer? And I I think for me, what probably held me back was that I'd never been a script editor. And I always thought to become a really good executive producer, you had to be a script editor. And that just hasn't been my route. You know, I, I haven't come through scripts at all. I've come through the floor. I was a runner. I was a, an assistant director. Um, I always knew that I didn't want to be um, full crew. There's a lot of banging upstairs. I, I didn't want to stay being crew. And I, I knew that, you know, being crew and motherhood was always a, quite a challenge, um, you know, for the hours that everybody does. Um, and, you know, I, I think I did want to run my own company. That was something that I, a decision that I did want to make early on. Um, and I, so I think that has really informed everything was, was being able to be, you know, in charge of my own decision making and in charge of being able to try and, you know, generate projects. And I think that has been the route to execing, you know, uh, and also through being a very physical producer, um, very hands on. You know, we've made feature films for a long time and, you know, we've run those ourselves. And, you know, the route to becoming an exec in television has been the fact that actually I just got the opportunity to sell this show. And, you know, I'm quite a new executive producer, but the job's kind of no different from producing it. I guess you're you're kind of managing your financiers, you're managing your broadcasters. It's it's you know similar to making a film, but but also different. I think what has been daunting is that you know you you know I'm I've always been a bit I suppose scared of not being a trained script editor, and I think I've come to terms with the fact that I've, I think I've got good instincts for scripts, but I haven't been trained, and so I always felt that could you be an executive producer if you hadn't come from script editing? So. I think having got here and not been a script editor has has felt like a very nice personal achievement and thinking, you know, actually, I've, I've got a grip of this. I know what I'm doing. I feel confident about it now. I've got a sense of who I am in this role. And that has been, you know, that's given me a lot of comfort, I think, now. Um, uh, you know, and I really, really love the job. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant job. Um, the challenges, um, I they're immense every day but they are brilliant challenges you know uh you know one is one can be intimidated by 
employing a, a really significant piece of uh, an amazing actor. You can be intimidated by what the commissioners needs and juggling, you know, an American broadcaster with a UK broadcaster. That can be a bit daunting at times. You know, it can be, you know, managing your crew, you know, ha- are all your heads of department happy? You know, they are, they're good producing challenges, but they are, they're, they're, they're fantastic. You know, they're, you know, gosh, they're what I've dreamed of, I think. Three top skills for the good executive producer. So I think the three skills that a good exec needs are um, eye for a really good story, I think is probably the first one is that absolute hunch that you've got that, that you think you've got something special. And I think that's what producers, executive producers need all the time. You know, that tingle you get on the back of your neck when you think this is it, this is it, this is a really, really good project. So that's my first one. I think, um, secondly, you need a bit of brass neck because you've got to get through those doors and you've got to not be scared that, you know, you've got to get through those doors and somehow you've got to work that out. And, you know, this show that we're making at the moment, I didn't know either of these, you know, commissioners. And we've just through, you know, absolute endurance, you know, managed to make those relationships and develop those Um And the other thing I think is patience. You know, you definitely have to, you know, sometimes these projects can take a long time. You know, sometimes I'm sure projects can move really quickly. But, you know, as a new exec producer, this show has taken a few years to get to a point where it's fully financed. And, you know, and also you have to learn how to now how to put your your multi-party finance together. So that would be my third one is definitely, you know, patience and be in it for the long game. Tell me about executive producers you've really admired. I'm sure like many exec producers, they will all, you know, often look to Nicola Schindler as somebody who's, you know, inspired them over the years. And I think, you know, she's been, you know, her standard of drama producing has been so consistent and so exceptional over the years. And I've kind of, you know, watched her career and just thought, you know, she sort of consistently appears from the outside to, to get it right. And I, you know... I often used to wonder how she'd done it, you know, but I think obviously, you know, um, one of the things I didn't say previously was, you know, obviously those relationships with writers are absolutely critical to being a good exec. And I think, you know, her relationship with Russell T Davis and, you know, obviously all, all, all the different writers she's worked with over the years have been, you know, something that definitely I have aspired to to build, you know, as, a, as an EP as well. Um, so I, I think she's incredible. Would you share a crucial decision that you made on your new show, the detective show you're making with Nicola Walker called Annika? I think one of the crucial decisions was um, absolutely moving, you know, a Radio 4 Norwegian set uh, detective to Scotland. And, you know, that decision... I mean, you know, it, it, it was a crucial decision because originally I'd gone out and said, look, you know, let's do a Wallander for women. That was sort of how I was pitching it. And I thought we would be producing it in Scandinavia. And, you know, originally we took the show to the BBC and they said, well, you know, you can do it in Scotland. And, and it was, you know, it was such a, a kind of obvious move in that moment. And I, and we, you know, went back to our writer and said, look, you know, do you think we can do it in Scotland. And we both, of course, thought, thought, well, of course we should do it here. So it was a really, you know, that that was a crucial decision. But it's never been something that we've tumbled with. Once we made that decision, you know, the reincarnation of Annika um, as the, you know, she's still got her Scandinavian heritage, her Norwegian heritage, but, you know, she now is based with a with a Scottish crime um, marine unit. So it's worked, it, hopefully it's worked really well. Arabella, thank you so much for your time today and all best wishes to you and Nicola Walker on the launch of Annika later this year. Thank you. Thanks, bye. Here's Sue Virtue 
talks about her early attempts to avoid working in the family TV business and her crucial nautical decisions on Dracula. Sue Virtue of Hartswood Films, thank you for your time today. Let's dive in. The early days. Did you have a favourite TV show as a child? There wasn't really one show that I looked at and thought I wanted to be in TV. I think partly probably because it was already in the family. My mother was already a producer, exec producer. So we sort of grew up with it. We grew up with strange people coming around to the house. Um, We grew up with that weird kind of uh, diplomacy of what you do and don't say to certain people, even as a kid, really. Um, so there wasn't a programme. No, I, I do remember, though, I remember watching uh, Doctor Who because mum was at that point an agent for Terry Nation who wrote it. Uh, and so I just remember being scared at a very early age watching Doctor Who. So you were born into a world of TV. So how was that environment for you when you were making your own career decisions? Yes, yeah, so, so strangely, because obviously I grew up in it and, and the business and, and my mum and then also my sister was a first assistant and second assistant. Um, so I went and studied um, business at, at college and actually thought, well, I'll, I won't go into the industry. I'll go and do something like work in the city. I don't know why I thought that, actually. But I think when you're surrounded by something, you just try and fight and move away from it. Um, and so I was doing really boring things like working in you know, a secretary in lawyers' offices and things. And my sister was working with Tony Scott at the time. And she basically said to him, could you just please just meet my sister? Because I think she's in the wrong business. And uh, and bless him, he did. So I met Tony Scott and he offered me a job as a, as a runner in his commercials company. And so that's what happened. That was my first job as a runner. From those early days, what was your view of the executive producer role? I mean, it was a strange thing, obviously. I was always aware of producers and exec producers. Um, So I know that many people thought of them as kind of scary people in suits. Uh, It was my mum, actually, weirdly, so obviously not in a suit. Um, But I think as I went more into television away from commercials, and I saw the exec producers, it, it, it felt very different. It felt as though they knew everything um, and they were in charge of everything and, and, and I knew nothing really. Um, but I think as you gradually move up the ranks, which I did from sort of runner to production assistant, to production manager, to line producer, to producer, um, that you realize you're always gonna think that you know nothing. That, that's the weird thing about it. There's a great imposter syndrome, um, which gets easier as you have more experience. But I think, I think that feeling of not knowing enough never goes away, really. What is the most daunting thing about the role? I think the most daunting thing about being a producer or exec producer is the fact that ultimately you've got to make the decision. Um, and it's not about the fact that you're the one that's going to go to jail if something goes wrong. It's not that. Uh, but you have to make the decision. You have to make the right decision. And sometimes uh, that can feel quite scary and quite lonely, I think. Share with me a crucial moment in regards to one of your shows. When I was producing, the first moment I realised that I was a producer was when uh, I found uh i wanted to make a show about 
a straight woman and a gay man living together. And this was because I was basically having my house decorated by um, a gay man. And we just had this wonderful relationship. And so I wanted to find, so I found Jonathan Harvey and he came up with this idea of gimme, gimme, gimme. Um, and we got Kathy Burke in and we made the show and it was a success on BBC Two and it moved to BBC One. And I think that was the first time that I produced something. I thought, actually, if I hadn't been there, this show wouldn't have happened. Um, that didn't, that wasn't the same with Vicar of Dibley. That would have happened without me. Mr. Bean would have happened without me because it was already running. Uh, but this was the first one I think I've found I made a difference. So that was probably the proudest moment, I think, at that moment. Um, I think also when I was first, the first producing, I think, when I was on Mr. Bean and I had a really, really good PA that I had to keep miming to her and going, is that my job? And she'd say, yes, that's your job. Um, and one of the first things I did was I realised that there was somebody on the show that was no good. They just absolutely were no good, a crew member. And I asked them to leave the show and they said to me, you're just saying that because you're a producer now and you are trying to pull your weight. And if you sat me, you won't work in this industry again. And I was so scared that in fact, I didn't sat them, I let them stay. And they were awful. And everyone all the way through the shoot said, why, why are they here? Why didn't you get rid of them? So <laughs> I realized sometimes you just have to be brave and go by your instinct. Three skills for an executive producer. Uh, three skills, I would say, um, don't shy away from building the best team possible. Uh, you want to make the best show, not a fine show. And so if you can find people that are better than you, get them and let them do their job. Don't think you can do their job better than, than they can. Um, be honest and be decent. We have a motto in our family, you've got to be able to sleep at night. So however you treat people, make sure you can sleep at night. Um, and learn by your mistakes. Every time I, I do something, I think I won't do it that way again. There's always an element that I learn by and I think there's a better way of doing that. And Four, I'm going to say, script is king. Script is always king. Without a script, you can't get actors, you can't get the money, you can't get anything. So look after the writers. Execs you admire? The execs I admire. Well, my mum, Beryl Virtue, um, she taught me everything I know. Um, uh, Nikki Schindler, I think, has done some amazing things again. Uh, looks after the writers, you know, she's just done It's a Sin, beautiful piece of work, Russell. Um, Jane Featherstone, I think, brave, brave. Again, what they've all done is, is they look after the writers and know that the script is the most important element. Tell me about that big decision on Dracula. So one element that was a major change in the show, we were trying to find the Demeter, a boat, and we went to Cornwall and looked at a boat. We went to France to look at a boat. We went to a dock in London and looked at a boat. We could not find a boat that was big enough 
that we could shoot in. Um, and so there was one day I just basically said, let's build the boat. And we built the whole boat in the stage. We had to build it diagonally from one corner to the other to make it big enough. Um, and it was just that overnight decision. You go, no, we have to go and do that. We did the same thing actually with the beach. We kept trying to find a beach to film on. Turns out you can't film on the East Coast because of birds nesting in the summer, who knew? Uh, we went all around everywhere trying to find a beach. And then I also then went to the designer, Arwell, and said, oh, well, could we just build the beach in the studio, please? Which we did. So that was all beach and back projection. So um, sometimes you just have to bite the bullet and make that big decision. It's a big change. Sue Virtue, thank you so much for sharing all your wonderful knowledge with us today. My pleasure. Nicola Schindler, Ruth Kenley-Letts, Arabella Pagecroft and Sue Virtue speaking with Rachel Glaister from All Three Media International as part of this special episode celebrating International Women's Day. There'll be more from the podcast tomorrow, but in the meantime, stay safe and up to date with all the latest international TV industry news by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Carolina Kaminska. Thanks for listening. <laughs>